1 Samuel chapter 16. You follow along as I begin reading in the very first verse, 1 Samuel chapter 16. The writer said, The Lord said to Samuel the prophet, How long will you grieve over King Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall announce, anoint for me him for whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, Samuel looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord looks not as a man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? Jesse said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. Jesse sent and brought him in. Now David was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey. This morning we're beginning a new sermon series from the life of King David. We're going to go through a journey in some of the significant events in his life. David is a key figure, obviously, in the Old Testament in in his role in being the the father of Jesus in his lineage. We're going to learn from David, though, with the perspective of David did a lot of things right, but he also did a lot of things wrong. We want to get it right in our lives. And so we're going to try to learn through this series how we can get it right from a man who didn't always get it right. And I think most of us here today can relate to somebody who didn't always get it right, because that sounds like us, doesn't it? When you think of King David, the stories that that stand out in your mind, what are they? What are some of the stories that you remember from David's life? Anybody? Who's still awake? (laughs) Well, uh, well, were you uh, hearing the Sheba? 
And his, his affair with Bathsheba. And he killed her husband, Uriah. Somebody else. What's one of the stories from David's life that you remember? Cindy? Goliath. That's next week. We're going to come back next week. We're going to look at him when he kills the giant. Somebody else. Those are the two big ones. They're like, oh gosh, what, is there something else? <laughs> We're going to learn not all the stories about David. There are too many. But over the next two months... We're going to look at the various things that we can learn from him. But today we want to look at this story that we read. Before we get into the actual story, though, let's see if we can get a little bit of history, a context so we know where to place David in the timeline. You remember God's people in the book of Exodus were delivered from slavery in in Egypt, from Pharaoh, after they'd been in slavery for 400 years. Well, then they went through that next period, remember? 40 years wandering around in the wilderness because of their sin. And then after that 40 years, they moved into the promised land, and they began to conquer it. Well, after they conquered the land, as they were in the promised land, they were ruled by a, a series of judges. And they went through various cycles of rebellion and sin against God, and then God would deliver them. And then they'd start the cycle all over again. Well, then after that period of judges, the people came to Samuel, the guy in our story today, and they said, you know what? We want a king. And Samuel's like, you don't need a king. You've got a king. God. No, no, no. All the nations around us, they have a king. We want one too. It's like children when they come home. The guy down the street has one. I want one. And so God said, all right, give him a king. And that's when they got their very first king, King Saul. Well, he wasn't king very long before he drifted away from God and sinned, and God rejected him. After Saul, the first king, comes David, the second king of Israel. Probably around 1050 B.C., roughly 3,500 years ago. Anybody around back then? Right? Roughly 3,500 years ago is when David lived. David is a, is a wonderful character in the Bible because we can't relate to him on this. He was a poet. He wrote many of the psalms that we have in our Bible. He was a musician. He was a shepherd. He was a soldier. Ultimately, he becomes a king. There's no birth narrative in the Bible. We first learn about David in this story here when he's a teenager. Saul has been rejected, but he's still the king. God comes to Samuel and says, what's time to appoint a new king? And Samuel's like, yeah, we got a king that's still alive. I don't think he's going to be too happy if we do this. If he finds out that I've anointed a successor while he's still alive. And God said, do it anyway. And so, David is appointed and anointed the next king. And so we have this awkward period where you have a sitting king and you have a future king alive at the same time. But David becomes a template. He becomes the model for all kings after him. He is the best king of all the kings of Israel with the exception of Jesus. The Messiah is said to come from the line of David. That's why Jesus is described, one of his titles is the son of David. 
Well, what do we see in this story? Saul is, is the king. Samuel is mourning the fact that, that God has rejected the, the king and is looking in a different direction. God comes to Samuel and says, I want you to go anoint a king. He says, I want you to go to Bethlehem. I want you to go to the house of Jesse. That's all he tells him. One of the things that, that makes me wonder in this story is, if God told him the specific city to go to, if God told him the specific family to go to, would it have been that hard for God to say, and while you're there, anoint David? God tells him the city, he tells him the family, he says, and then I'll tell you. I don't know about you, but I don't like flying the way God wants me to fly. I want to know everything up front, don't you? I want to know all the details, all the, the, the I's I need to dot, all the T's I need to cross, and God says, here, go there, I'll tell you when you get there. And so, Samuel goes there, Not knowing which of Jesse's sons to anoint, he and Jesse get together and they say, well, common sense would say it would be the oldest son. That would be the obvious choice. Because, well, David's brothers were good looking. David didn't seem as impressive as his older brothers. At least not in this time in his life. David is, is, in this story, he's absolutely passive. He speaks nothing in this story. He's just brought and anointed. So, in the background is David, when they have this feast, when they have this time of sacrifice, he's not even invited. They leave him out in the field watching the sheep. Have you ever been in your own family and left out of your own family stuff? David is so insignificant to the family, he's not even invited. Now, this series is about David. But why don't we take a side note on Samuel for just a second. The text begins... With Samuel grieving over King Saul, who's been rejected by God. He must have had high hopes for Saul that he was going to amount to something and the the kingdom is taken away from him and it's going to be given to somebody else. He was mourning the failure of the first king. And God comes to Samuel and says, how long are you going to mourn over him? It's time to move on. I don't know about you, but that speaks to me. How many of us get caught up in mourning over things that didn't turn out the way we wanted? We have regrets. We get caught in a paralysis of regret. Mourning things that, oh, if only this had happened. God comes to Samuel and says, it's time to move on. It's time to go forward. We have to dust ourselves off. we got to begin again and move toward what God has for us. Each of us here this morning has regrets. We all do. But we cannot let our regrets hold us back from the bright future that God has for us. 
Stick with me here for a moment. If Samuel had stayed where he was, mourning the loss of the first king, he would have missed out on anointing the best king. God had something even better in mind. We can miss the new that God has in our life while we look backwards and mourn as we're stuck regretting what didn't happen. Well, as we look at this story, there are several things that we can learn from David that he got right. Jot these down this morning. Flip your bulletin over and take some notes this morning. What's the first thing that we see that David gets right? Number one. David was not there goes the microphone by the David was not seeking this honor for himself. Are you with me? He wasn't even there. David was not there, you know what, I want to be king. He was not pushing himself to the front of the line. He was not seeking this honor or the trappings of being the king. He didn't run from the office of king. Vote for me. I'll be a better king than Saul. He didn't do that. Second, not only did David not run from this office, he did not seek this honor. The second thing we see in this story, David did not walk in how other people saw him. This is critical. David wasn't power hungry, but he also wasn't saying, well, nobody thinks I'm any good. They they didn't even invite me to the dinner. He did not walk in how other people saw him. His family saw him as insignificant. You know what? Let him keep watching the sheep. We don't care. He was an unlikely choice to be the future king. But God, we're told in this story, looks at the heart. That's what God tells Samuel, remember? Samuel starts looking at the older brothers. Oh, he's good looking. He's good looking. Oh, this has got to be him. And finally, God says, when you stop looking at the outside, I look at the inside. I look at the heart. It would have been easy for David to say, well, nobody sees me as anything significant. I can't be the king. You you need to get somebody better than me. He did not walk in their view of him. God said, I want him to be king. Where his brothers saw a shepherd, God saw a king. That's huge. We're going to see this again next week when he goes up against the giants. The third thing we see is that David fulfills God's calling on his life. You see, while we don't see it in this beginning story, we do through the rest of of Samuel's writings here, 
we learn that David ultimately becomes the man that God wants him to be. He becomes the king. He becomes the ruler over all of Israel. He fulfills God's plan for his life. Well, David could have said, you know what? People don't think I'm very important. I'm not, I'm not valuable. I'm not, I'm not significant. You know what? God found a replacement for Saul. He can find a replacement for me. He'll be fine. That's what David could have said. You know what? I'll never be a good king. But David didn't leave it for others to do what God had called him to do. David didn't seek the honor of being king, but he accepted God's call on his life. He didn't run toward the office of king, but he also didn't run away from it either when God said, you're the one. Well, what's our takeaway this morning? As we look at David and how he responded to this challenge, what do we learn from it? What's our takeaway? Well, what we, what we look at, how we look at things, determines what we see. When you look at David, most of us, if we had been there that day, when we would look at David, we probably would have agreed with the brothers. Yeah, he's not. He's not the right one. What we look at and how we look at it determines what we see. David didn't look like the right choice. But then as we fast forward to the New Testament, we see the same thing about Jesus. Jesus didn't look like anybody special himself, did he? When Jesus went to his own hometown, his people were like, yeah, this guy's not. That's just little Jesus. We, we, we knew him as a kid. His own people had trouble accepting him. The key is to see things the way God sees things. To look at the inner instead of the outward. You see, we judge by how we see things. But God judges underneath the surface in areas that we can't see. This is critical. We're going to see this again and again through this series. Trying to see things from God's perspective rather than our perspective. Looks can be deceiving. Have you ever noticed this in the church? Looks can be deceiving even in the church. Some of the biggest talkers in the church. You know what I'm talking about? People that just talk the most spiritual, look at their lives. Some of the biggest talkers in the church are people who do the least. They talk a good game, but they don't follow through. God specifically says to Samuel about the older brother, don't look at his height. He walks out and Samuel's like, whoa, he's a tall boy. God, God, don't look at his height. And yet, did you know that study after study today shows 
that if people don't know one political candidate from the other, they'll vote for the taller one? It's true. We have a natural tendency to be biased in favor of tall people. We size up people constantly. But we measure people with the wrong measuring stick. How many of us do not like being measured by our failures? And yet how many of us will turn right around and measure people by their failures? You don't like it when people do it to you. Why do you do that to others? In John's Gospel, Jesus said, Do not judge by appearances. And yet, that's what we do. We judge by the surface. We judge by the externals. When Samuel comes to Jesse's house, he starts looking at the, the boys. Oh, he's tall. He's tall. This is a fascinating part of the story. You don't know this probably, but if you go back in Israel's history to the time when they chose their first king, do you know what one of the primary qualities of Saul was? Their first king? His height. He was, we're told he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And yet, he bombs out. He fails as a king. They go to pick a second king, and Samuel's like, let's get a tall one. Did you not learn that just having height is not enough? We know better than to judge a book by its cover, and yet what do we do? We judge books by their cover. We judge people by the external. When we use our physical eyes to see, we're going to see physical things. But if we're going to see things from God's perspective, we've got to put on our spiritual eyes. We've got to look at things differently. So what are we supposed to look for? If we're going to judge by the internal rather than the external in the looks, what are we looking for? Let's put on our spiritual eyes for a moment. What should we look for? Number one, we need three things. Number one, the choosing of God. We, as Christians, are chosen by God. I want to let that sink in for just a moment. We have been chosen by God. How many of us are desperate for other people to choose us? But what is most important is that God has already chosen us. Your value does not decrease just because somebody else doesn't see value in you. Every so often we hear of somebody who goes to a garage sale, and God, I hope one of these days it's me. You know what I'm talking about? They go to a garage sale, they pick something up, and it's five bucks. And they found out it's worth millions. The person selling it didn't know what they had. They're just getting rid of it like it's junk. How many of us 
people in our lives see us as having no value. We have value not because of something in us. We have value because God has chosen us. We didn't choose Him. He chose us. Our value is found in that. Focus on God's choosing you. That's more important than your height. That's more important than your looks. God has chosen you in Christ. Second, focus on service to God. God did not choose David just because he wanted David to be king. God had in mind a service that David was to do. And as we look at David's life, through his ups and downs, he does a lot of things wrong, but he does things right too. He serves God. Too often, we look at the external of how someone looks and we don't stop and say, but where's the service to God? God has chosen us to serve Him. Then serve Him. Don't just bask in the choosing of God and say, well, God's chosen me, that's all that matters. God did not choose us just to choose us. He chose us to serve Him. Then serve Him. And that's what we ought to be looking for in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters in the church. We don't need more talkers. We need people who recognize that God has chosen them to serve. Just as David didn't run away from God's choosing, neither should we. Focus on service to God. Third, put on your spiritual eyes and focus on the heart. David is described in Scripture by God as a man after his own heart. A man after God's own heart. We focus on so much stuff, we overlook the heart. Let's get ugly for a moment. Not literally, folks. How many of us spend more time today getting ready for church so that we could look good then we will spend trying to be good. How many of us, before we go out, and trust me, I am thankful that you make yourself up before you go out, okay? Don't get me wrong. I don't want to see you without being made up, right? But how many of us will spend much more time focused on clothing, hair, how we look on the outside than who we are on the inside. Most of us will spend more time showering, shaving, getting dressed, combing our hair, than we will spend reading our Bibles and praying. And that's a sad truth. Look at how much time people spend going to the gym, working out to look good on the outside. But how much time do we spend working out trying to improve our hearts? 
What God says is most important. The sad truth is we're more concerned about how other people see us and whether we look good to other people than whether we look good to God. When my girls were little, I had a rule in the house that they couldn't get their ears pierced until they were 12. But Dad, all of our friends are getting their ears pierced. And I said, I want you to spend the first 12 years focusing on the inside of who you are as a person, who God wants you to be. There's plenty of time to focus on the external. We're pushing our kids, especially our girls, to be cute and pretty and to focus on the outside. Let them be kids. Let them grow up. Develop some character before we start focusing. Our culture already puts too much emphasis on how we look. And yet we as Christians fall into that same trap. The key to this series on David's life is becoming men and women who have hearts like God. You see, we'll, we'll sometimes work on trying to control our tongue. I, I really need to stop saying that stuff. Well, you do. You shouldn't be saying that stuff probably. But don't focus on what you say. Focus on your heart that says it. Because Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. But when you stop and think about it, what on the outside in terms of our moral character needs to change first? Before the heart. The answer is nothing. Everything begins with the heart. Our heart is the key to what God wants. Heart first, and then everything else follows. But if God doesn't have our heart, if our heart is not right, then nothing else will be right. But let's put a finer point on this for just a second. Do you have people in your life? I know I do. They feel like it's their God-given responsibility to tell us that they don't think will amount to anything. You got people like that in your life? They feel like God has appointed them to run around and tell other people that they don't matter. We don't need other people to see value in us to be able to do what God has called us to do. Did you hear me? We don't need other people to see value in us before we can do what God has called us to do. If we wait for the naysayers to get on board, we will never do what God has called us to do. We need a commitment to living out how God sees us. You see, it's not just others who look down on us and see us as insignificant. Our problem today is that's the way we see ourselves. We're down on ourselves, constantly belittling ourselves and what we can do for the Lord. We're guilty of that as much, if not more, than others. We'll say things like, I can't be used by God because I don't have pastor's good looks. I can't be used by God because I 
And God says, no, you don't understand. I can use you in a much greater way because you don't have pastor's ego. We see ourselves through worldly eyes. We see our weaknesses. We see our failures. We see ourselves how other people see us. Look at Jesus again. His own family didn't believe in him. They came to take him home one day because they heard rumors he was crazy. Jesus was judged harshly because people looked at him and he doesn't matter. He's not right. You may seem insignificant to others or even yourself. We see too old, too broken, nothing of use for God. But when we begin to allow God to use us, great things will happen. We live out of this false view of ourselves, a false understanding of God, and we sit back and we don't do what God wants us to do. It is a lie of Satan that we cannot be used of God. Satan actually lies to us and tells us not only does God that he can't use us, Satan lies and tells us God doesn't want to use us. God wants to use somebody better than you. And how many of us fall into that trap and believe that lie? But you see, even though David was dismissed by his own family, he didn't seem to matter. David measured up to what God was looking for. A man after his own heart. The question for you today is, do you measure up based on what God finds important? Do you measure up on the heart issues? Will you surrender yourself to God and whatever He wants to do in your life with you? You see, we're called to serve not to sit. We don't need the calling of God to sit and watch other people do the work of God. Anybody can do that. How do you see yourself this morning? Pray, honestly pray, God, help me to see myself the way you see me. God, give me the eyes that I can see below the surface to what you see. Now is the time for us to stop arguing with God and surrender ourselves. God, however you want to use me, use me. Nothing can be more important. Nothing will be more fulfilling in our lives than surrendering ourselves to what God has chosen us to do. Have you given your heart to God? To God, use me. If you want me to be king, I'll be king. If you want me to scrub the floors, I'll scrub the floors. God, I want to be used by you.
Have you done that? Or are you walking in the lies of Satan? I'll never amount to anything. I can't be used by God. Let's pray.